Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Uncle Marv here, and I am bringing you a very special episode of the Uncle Marv podcast. We are simulcasting with my tech podcast, PodNuts Pro, because I think the information here will be of great benefit to everybody. I have a very, very great guest coming up who has been, man, if we could count the number of awards that she has won in the city of Atlanta, I think it would be a lot. I didn't realize there were so many organizations there to do that. So we're going to get started here in just a bit. I do want to give a very quick announcement. So two weekends ago, my alma mater high school, Satellite Beach High School, won the state championship in cross country. Just want to throw that out there that uh, my alma mater is doing good things. We've had state championships before, but I haven't been able to announce them on the podcast. And uh, I want to thank and give a shout out to Mr. Bill Hibbard, who brought that to our attention because in the midst of COVID, haven't really been able to follow all of that stuff. But thank you, Bill, for keeping track of that stuff. Bill Hibbard, a friend of mine from high school who followed in my tracks in cross country. Yes, folks, I did run cross country because in the summer, I wasn't fast enough to run the sprints for the AAU team. So during school, I ran sprints. In the summer, I ran long distance. And that's all I'm going to say about that now. So let's get on with the show and on to our guest. Like uh, like Mary, I made a significant change in my career uh, about uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, my degrees are in chemical engineering, and I actually worked for an oil company um, called Amico that was acquired by an oil company that really people didn't pay a lot of attention to about 86 days ago, but uh, now there's a little more <laughs> attention being drawn to that. Um, very long story short, um, uh, I was here in Atlanta, and staying in Atlanta working for BP wasn't a long-term solution, really. Needing to move to another location was, um, was in the cards for me if I stayed with BP. So very long story short, I decided to leave. Um, I had been affected incredibly positively by being a mentee in a formal mentoring program. Uh, the gentleman who was my mentor, a gentleman named Chuck Papagiorgio, was my mentor, is still my mentor. I swapped emails with him last week, so 12 years later. Uh, I was profoundly impacted by how this gentleman really helped me from an external perspective shape my career and really put me on a path to achieve much more um, as a professional. And then very long story short, uh, the company that ran that mentoring program was having some financial trouble. And here I was. I just left BP. I had gotten to the point where I was bored and ready to do something else. And really, not knowing anything about human resources, leadership development, or, or small business ownership, decided to buy the company. Um, it has been uh, it has been my passion for the past eight years. It is uh, an incredible thing to get to work with individuals and really help them to shape their futures and their careers. My brother would tell you, um, I am a product of the Junior Achievement Program, where um, students uh, learn to run companies while they are in high school. And I will never forget my brother just casually saying, well, of course, we always knew that you would do this. <laughs> Might have been good if he mentioned it to me. Had not. But, um, but uh, so I do think there was an element to Juanita's point that I think there were certainly people around me who thought I was crazy, but uh, it's a decision I would do all over again. And welcome to the show. I am joined by that wonderful person you just saw, Helene Lawless. Helene, how are you? I am good. I have no idea what that is. Like, I knew it was me, and I was like, I was dying. And then when it mentioned the BP, and then they said eight years, so I guess that was 10 years ago. I don't have any idea. Where did you find that? That was a clip that my research department found at an event titled Womanetics. 
Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching with anticipation, wondering what I said. So there you go. Yeah. We have people that search the deep web and go and find things. And we found that on you and, uh, very interesting. So, folks, you have heard the introduction video. Helene Lawless, who is a friend of mine from Junior Achievement, more specifically the National Junior Achievement Conference. Uh, Helene is the CEO of Pathfinders, which is an organization that really helps uh, mentor people and have them partner with organizations. You have, Helene, a ton of awards, but I'll just stick to the one that you most recently got, which is the 2020 Admired CEO in Atlanta. So how does it feel? One of many, I will say. Um, I, I, I I would not pull any punches on this one. I was absolutely blown away. I was uh, blown away to be selected, uh, but perhaps uh, especially this year, even more blown away that my team nominated me because I, I uh, 2020 is a year where no CEO did it alone. That's for sure. At, uh, it, you know, any of us still standing in 2020 after the year that this has been, it's, uh, it's by all measures a team game. 2020 has been an interesting year, but, yeah. uh, one in which you can still be nominated and uh, accepted as that type of award is pretty good. So why don't we go back and say, how are things for you and how, you know, how are things uh, with your family? You you guys look safe and good. Yeah, I, you know, to be honest, uh, another thing about 2020 is it's hard to complain, right? Uh, I mean, I you know, we uh, there are any number of things that would be easy to complain about, but in the grand scheme of things, unbelievably blessed that uh, you know we're we're good and we're healthy, and um, uh, it uh, our our. Uh, our reality is uh, an awful lot of work right now that I don't know that I've ever actually worked harder. Uh, and uh, it's been an effort to kind of, I mean, in essence, I mean, people use the word pivot way too frequently these days. Uh, I'm a hundred percent clear for us at path builders. It was a reinvention. And uh, I wish I could say that I have found a way to find balance in all of this. I have not the downside of having an office, in the house is that it's still here after dinner. Mm. Yes. Pivoting to the new normal is a phrase that I wish would go away. Exactly. Really soon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. So let's get back to that opening video. Yeah. Because most people know that I have talked about junior achievement. I've talked about the influence that it has had on my life. You and I just last year uh, Mm -hmm. attended a reunion on the lovely campus of Indiana University and got to, you know, walk the, the, the school, the campus there, hang out with uh, some friends of many, many years, I should say, and talk about that. So it was funny that, as you mentioned, your path, um, your brother says that you should attribute it to junior achievement. Yeah. Yeah, he he contends that and uh, and like you, I was all in on J.A. and, uh, you know, four years in high school and, uh, you know, every year, you know, back in the day when junior achievement was, you know, there were band saws and, you know, bench grinders and, uh, you know, I mean, all of those pieces of equipment that you can't even imagine letting high school kids loose on today, right? I mean, that was the world of JA then. And, you know, four years of um, kind of working your way up from somebody who produced a product to, you know, being the VP of marketing, VP of finance. uh, And then as soon as I got out of graduate school, I became a JA company advisor. And I contend to this day um, it made me a better employee. I mean, being, um, a, you know, an entry level employee who was basically running a small company on the side and thinking in terms of functional areas, like really understanding what HR does versus what finance does versus what marketing does. And, uh, when my kids won company of the year for all of Chicago land, heck, I put that on my resume. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was running a small company on the side. Um, but back to where I am today, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily saw it in myself, but uh, literally to my family, it was like, well, of course, Helene will own a business someday. 
And, you know, I was working in big oil. I just assumed I would stay in petrochemicals for my whole career. Um, but, you know, that wasn't in the cards. Interesting. So you talked about uh, the career that you started. You actually were in school for chemical engineering. Yeah. I remember yeah. you telling me that last year because I, I didn't think that would be your path. You were you were one of the smartest people I knew, so I assumed that you would uh, be on the CEO path much sooner. Uh, no, I, um, I, I um, went to North Carolina State undergrad, and that's uh, where my passion lies, certainly from an allegiance standpoint. And um, uh, studied so studied chemi undergrad, and then I actually went to Purdue for graduate school. So there were a few years, uh, a, a few years when it, I had a pretty short trip to get to IU for uh, the JA conference. It was I was at Purdue, just driving down to Indiana. Um, but um, started in the Chicago area with, um, as uh, as that crazy old video said, with Amico. And uh, Amico was acquired by BP in late 98. And I will say I had a very, I, I had a fantastic career uh, in those two organizations and started out doing extremely technical work, um, but had moved into product management and then moved into marketing, spent some time in strategic planning. And uh, my last role, uh, our industry was going through a lot of consolidation. So my last role was in mergers and acquisitions. And so I used to joke that the only thing I really knew how to do well when I bought this company was the buying. Like I was, <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable like figuring out the valuation and figuring out how to structure the deal to buy the company. Pretty much everything from there on was like a learning experience. All right. Now you tell a story about how you got to the point where you wanted to buy this company, which seems kind of interesting to me because you actually were introduced to it because you were a mentee yeah. of a mentor that was a part of this company. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because there's a lot of things I think people can take from the mentee-mentor relationship, but it was almost as if you were drawn to it because of that mentoring that you went through. Yeah, it's incredibly interesting. So the company was actually founded in 1995, and um, it was founded uh, in large part, there had been some research coming out of Harvard in the late 80s and early 90s that found that people who naturally mentor, naturally mentor people who look just like themselves. And with no malintent, and, and I will tell you, I, I, I do embrace that. I mean, when I meet a young female engineer, I extrapolate characteristics onto her that she may not have. But, I, like, there's something about seeing yourself in someone that kind of causes you to pour into them. And so um, Amico had uh, placed me in this mentoring program, and it was only for women. And I remember... As a young female engineer, I spent a tremendous amount of time trying to get people to not notice that I was a woman. Mm. And uh, so the thought of embarking on something that was exclusively for women initially was not very attractive to me. But then I learned that what the model was, was they were going to get to know me and match me with a mentor who they would hand select for me to help me with my career and I remember pretty quickly thinking this is sounding like an intelligence test to like, to not say yes to this. Um, and I'm laughing because, um, you know, in the video that you showed, I mentioned my mentor, Chuck. And at that point, I had spoken to him the week before, and I can actually say the same thing today. We, uh, we swapped email messages on Friday. Um, and so I was so profoundly impacted by having a relationship with a mentor who just challenged me, just asked me hard questions, just tried to get me to look at things from different perspectives. And um, quite frankly, he still serves that role for me today. All right. So you just brought up a bunch of things that I have questions on, but let's go ahead and move forward real quick to Path Builders, uh, the company that you now are the CEO of. And let's start with what is Path Builders and how did that uh how did that draw you in? Yeah, so it uh, uh, the company had a different name at the time, so I've rebranded it since buying it. But yeah, um, I uh, myself and two partners, all alums of the program, uh, bought what what is now Path Builders, and I've I've since bought out my partners as well. 
Um, it is, so we, we are an organization that focuses on moving women forward. And so for, um, gosh, for the first uh, six or seven years, we built upon that concept of cross-company mentoring. And so uh, manage large-scale mentoring programs where we interview each woman we match with. We surround her with peers and mentors who are hand-selected to be in her world and then support that with uh, great content. To, uh, one of the things we find all the time is, in large part, a lot of times people don't actually know what to do with a mentor. And um, we find that you've got to infuse content into a mentoring relationship. So if I'm challenging you about what executive presence means and what it means to navigate politics and understand culture, you're on a higher plane when you engage with your mentor because now the questions you're asking are much more informed. So um, that that was the cornerstone of the business. From that, we stepped back and really said, if you're serious about having women in the C-suite, you've got to be very strategic to think about what are the stages that women's careers progress through. And then we built mentoring methodologies and curricula that really support women at each career stage. Um, I will say over the course of the years, clients have brought us inside and said that stuff you do when we send women to you, A, our men need it, and B, can you come inside and work with larger groups of, of individuals? And then last, I would say that, you know, quite frankly, as I started getting old, I started getting frustrated that we weren't moving the needle enough, and I recognized that it's not enough to just develop women, but we've also got to be working with the C-suite in helping them to understand how do they create an environment where women can move forward. So that was a crazy long answer to we're a consulting firm that manages large-scale projects and programs and consults at the senior level to really create the way women can move forward. Okay. Let me first go back to the fact that you said Amico put you in the program. Yeah. Yeah. Was it for that very reason that you're a female in that industry and they felt that you needed help or what was it? Yeah, great question. So um, in in its original form, it was really focused. It was very it was completely Atlanta centric um, and it was focused on identifying women who were in middle management who demonstrated the potential to be officer level people inside their organizations and recognizing that in large part, those women don't have a lot of peers. And uh, I mean, I can remember, you know, when there were group trips, my roommate was always our administrative assistant who, you know, was fantastic, loved her, but you know, there just, there weren't people who looked like me in the environment. And so it was a, a, an incredible opportunity that we now offer to women today to to step outside of the organization, recognizing there may not be people inside the organization who are necessarily giving you the frank feedback that you need and the challenge that you need so that you come back to the organization stronger than if you had not had that experience. All right. Now, having gone through a couple of decades now, do you see a difference in how I guess we're going to say the gender diversity is seen now. I mean, is it, has a change really been made? It has. I, I, uh, I would say it, it not as much as I would like, uh, but yeah, no question. I do think, uh, I mean, there was, there was uh, in, in the earliest days of doing this and I, I was 37 when I, when I bought the company, I, in the earliest days of doing this, um, there was much more of an initial reaction when I said what I did for a living, there was much more of a, why would you do that? <laughs> like, like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Now, um, I, I do believe that there has been enough of a movement and emphasis that people realize. I, well, here's the thing. The, the big studies that started to really move the needle to help organizations to understand that this is about business and not about doing something nice for ladies, like th those all started like 2004 Catalyst had their first uh, their first big study release that was called The Bottom Line, which focused on the fact that gender diverse senior leadership teams uh, are more financially successful, higher return on assets, higher return on investment, um, you know, higher shareholder return. Um, you know, now 
you know, it amazes me that we still bother to issue more studies, but, you know, this, those results have been mapped again by McKinsey and Deloitte. I mean, you know, every major consulting firm has seen the financial benefits of gender diversity. Um, I will also say, um, you know, in the last 10 years, the number of women getting college degrees has, has, at least in the United States, has eclipsed the number of men getting college degrees. So, uh, you know, I mean, we're 51% of the population, 57% of college degrees, and having us on senior leadership teams helps organizations to be more financially successful. So uh, I mean, this is about business. And quite frankly, at PathBuilders, we only want to work with you if you understand that this is about good business. All right. So you said that the the company is focused on women. So is it exclusively women? Yeah, it's a great question. And always typically the first question, actually. So oh. no, um, uh, I will say, I mean, we work with both women and men uh, in a in a couple of ways. One, um, the same methodologies that we built, the the identification of career stages, it um, it's not different. The, the, the content is not different. Um, so we work with a lot of clients developing leaders and managing mentoring programs inside organizations with both women and men. I, I will just be frank. When there are only women in the room, we will have conversations that we won't have if you're there. So uh, there is a, a very frequently people will, uh, will, will be exposed to path builders and our content. And uh, there's this little surprise about, hey, you didn't talk about men at all. And we're like, yes, we don't actually talk about men. We talk about influence and navigating politics and understanding culture. Uh, it's just we're going to have a different conversation when there are only women in the room. Well, I think it's the same in all groups. I mean, I'll Agreed. speak personally for me. Just like you said earlier, how you didn't want people to see you as a woman. Yeah. I didn't want people to see me as black. Absolutely. Yes. And right. Neither and, of us can hide that. I'm willing to hazard that same thing. If somebody said we've created this program and it's just for people who are black, there would be this. I don't know if I want to do the program that are just. Re- yeah, right. that was exactly my reaction. Uh, however, I, I mean, don't you feel like we've come a long way there, though, that, you know, this uh, the, just as it's not about being colorblind, it's about embracing diversity. I, that That's the same for for gender as well. It, it is. And in some ways, there's been a lot of progress in other ways. I mean, if you look at just this past year, you know, with all of the diversity conversations that have had to be had now. Yeah. Uh, mainly when it comes to people of color. We're seeing that, you know, there's a lot of work still left to be done. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's a hard conversation, especially when it's thrown in people's faces. Now, in my situation, I think it's a lot harder to have conversations sometimes. For some reason, it's easier to include women and, you know, not to be sexist or stuff. But for the most part, there's a lot of places where, you know, Women are actually invited just yeah. just because they're a woman. Yeah, I um, a I mean we could do a whole show on this, right? <laughs> uh, a um, I I, I want to believe that that that's better because of the last year. I, I want to believe that that the that rightfully we've been able to elevate some conversations where that is not as true. Uh, I, I mean, I do think some of that is the fact that women are 51% of the population. Um, but um, I also think those of us that live in this diversity space, uh, it's it's just natural that we extend the conversation. You know, if you're living in my world, it's about how do we help organizations structure their talent processes so that they find the best talent, period. And more than one organization where we've come in the door, because people will often ask, do you focus on building up programs or dynamics around diversity broadly, or do you focus on women? And I like to be very forthright. Our expertise is in women. I will tell you, however, when we lift the hood and we start to look at what the processes are, what, what we help organizations do is uncover things around their talent processes that are blocking out lots of different talent. And I like to think that we help contribute to that. I'm not an expert on race by any stretch of the imagination. I continue to be a student, but uh, I will say I, I, I hope that it is, 
I hope that it sticks this time and stays on the topic of conversation because too many times it felt like we as a country were getting somewhere on a race conversation and then we backpedaled. Right. We shall see. That's yeah. uh, that's about all I can say. And I claim not to be an expert on race either, but I do have my experiences, which interestingly enough, you know, having to share those, you know, open some people's eyes to things. And part of that was my fault by shielding people and not letting them see what I go through on a regular basis. You're absolutely right, though. We spend, I think, especially those of us that dive into the business world, it is that same voice in my head about I'm hoping nobody notices I'm a woman, right? I mean, right. If there is just a, you try to. You try to fit in, you know, yeah, just, uh, yeah. you know, follow the, uh, <laughs> I was going to say good old boy network, but that's, you know, but it's whatever the culture is, where you are is what you're trying to fit into. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it. Now, in terms of people coming to path builders, are you dealing more with organizations that seek you out or individuals that seek you out? Or do you have yeah. to go and pursue them? Yeah, I mean, almost exclusively it's organizations. Okay. I mean, uh, every now and then there are individuals who are in every cohort we assemble. There are, there are always one or two who have found us individually, but, um, in large part, it's, you know, we're partnering with the organization. They're looking at their, um, their high potential employees and, and sending people in our direction or bringing us inside. All right. So are they looking for situations in which to help their existing employees or are they looking to you to say, Hey, we need to be a little bit more diverse. Can you help us with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So that, that was the, the, the big change for me. Um, uh, I, I went through just a lot of life stuff back several years ago as my parents were aging and uh, I needed to be in my job of being a daughter. And uh, after both of my parents had passed is when I really had this, okay, Helene, you've been at this for 15 years. The numbers just are not changing that much. And uh, it really caused me to step back and, and think a lot about, so what do we know? What, what, I mean, having worked with women for 15, like, what do we know about what's going on inside organizations? And, and um, now have really stepped back and we've identified what we see the key things are that have to be in place if you want to be a place that moves women forward and I, we're now helping organizations to really assess their readiness and figure out uh, what are the barriers to women moving forward. And clearly attracting talent is always one of the, uh, one of the desire points around that. How do you attack, attract great talent? How do you retain? How do you develop? Um, you know, the bulk of our work is in developing talent. Um, but certainly the things that we do to help organizations just create awareness around gender helps them to recruit as well. But that's not our, you know, it's, it's more um, a side benefit of the work that we're doing. Okay. Now, in terms of this, this uh, push that seems to have been moving forward, do you find that it's middle management that has embraced this or are CEOs actually getting to the point where they understand and they get it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, I would tell you, I was on a, uh, literally, I was on a call with uh, uh, an organization the other day, and they were making it sound like they had a, a, a very unique problem, and uh, they did not. So um, <laughs> what, what I would say is uh, what we see in large part is there's no question there's a grassroots effort around, um, I mean, and that is all different communities of diversity that, I mean, there, there is always inside an organization a desire to, to find people like yourself and to create opportunities. And, and I think the whole movement of having resource groups inside organizations uh, largely begins as a grassroots effort. Um, then I will say more and more, there is enlightenment at the top of the house and awareness around the business impact. Um, I would say the problem's the middle. Mm. And I don't, uh, it's not, I, I, there's no malintent to this, but I do think that, and this is one of the things we work with C-suite leaders about all the time, that very often the, the focus and the desire and the goal is there for a C-suite leader, but they don't know how to get it really started 
They don't know how to really create sustainable models. And um, I mean, much of our work is literally helping how do you propagate that ideal down through an organization so that the decisions your middle managers are making are reflecting of your goals. And I will tell you, one of my huge um, a client engagement I am hugely proud of we were working with the senior leadership team. We interviewed, I don't know, maybe 100 people inside the organization, really built for them a picture of, if you want to move women forward, here's what you need to do. And um, before they even uh, really rolled out anything substantial, it was changing the way the C-suite talked about the issue so much that mid-level managers were going to HR and saying, hey, when you send me a slate of candidates, make sure it's a diverse slate. Without even instituting that, just, and that's what it takes, right? The middle, middle, mid, mid and management needs to hear and see this at the top and seeing their senior leaders um, it, it feel personally invested in something before it actually changes their behavior. Okay. So that seems all nice and stuff, but you had mentioned earlier that the problem seems to be at the middle. Now, could it be, and I know we didn't prep for this, so if, I, if I'm if i asking this in the wrong way, yeah, let me know, yeah. but could it be that the middle is fighting the change either because the people that have made it to the middle don't want to lose what they have? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I always begin with the view of this isn't a zero-sum game, right? I mean, uh, I, you know, uh, women excelling doesn't mean men's careers being depressed. I mean, you know, this is about creating a, a bigger, more thriving organization with growth opportunities for everybody. I tend to think it is less that sort of intransigence and more um, uh I see all the time, Marvin, where um, the thing the middle's under a lot of pressure, right? An awful lot to get done. I see people very frequently think to themselves, "Ooh, just this once." Like I know a guy, and I just need somebody on this project, and if I could just get this one done, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to pay attention to diversity, but you know, I just got to get this thing done. I there there isn't a a mal intent to it. Um, it's just you've got to do something to actually uh, propagate change and literally change the dialogue throughout the organization to attract attention to the issue. Rarely do I see mal intent. It is much more often speed of response, just needing to make something happen. Um, I, I will also tell you, I mean, it happens every single day where, um, again, well-intended men, um, you know, don't offer a position to a woman. Ooh, I got all kinds of there you go. going, sorry. <laughs> um, well-intentioned men don't want a woman to have to say no to a role. And, oh, gosh, she just had a baby. She probably doesn't want to travel. I don't want to offer that position because I don't want her to have to turn it down. Um and it's again, it's not with bad intent, but you know what? Give her the chance to turn it down if she wants to turn it down, and she might surprise you. Okay, well, that's fair. And the reason I ask that is because I, you know, have seen that myself in when I, when I back when I was in the corporate world, um, because you you kind of get stuck in the middle of the pressure coming down from the top, and the pressure coming up from the bottom. Yeah, and. You know, the expectations that you have on both sides uh, can be overwhelming, and it's almost a, an act of self-preservation to be like, you know what, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm here. Just let me be me. I, I will also say that, you know, I mean, I develop leaders for a living, right? I, I, I pull no punches about the fact managing and leading people is the toughest job there is. I, you know, I, I do, I, I look at, I, I look at managers of people and, you know, you are signing on to deliver on results and then you've got this highly variable raw material you're working with. Right. <laughs> and, and I joke all the time, especially with new managers that, you know, managing is all about being a conductor of an orchestra, getting ready for a, the big concert. And, you know, right as you're getting ready to finalize everything you're doing for the big concert, your tuba player says, you know, I'm really interested in that violin thing. And 
like that's the job because you are both leading the work of the business and focusing on developing the talent of the team. And, you know, I, I sometimes joke that I get it. Like there are times as a middle manager that you just, wouldn't it be great if you had a highly skilled team with no ambition? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I joke. I mean, obviously you don't really mean that, right. but by the same token, just till I get this big project done, could we, could we maybe all just stay right here doing what we're doing? The thing that I know that you do particularly well. Yeah. I mean that you, that comes up a lot and I struggle with it just from an employee standpoint that, you know, coming, coming from junior achievement where everybody wanted to be there, everybody wanted to succeed. You know, I played sports. So there was always the, the single goal of we want to win. And yeah. then, you know, I'm coming doing something about the light here, Marvin. I just figured that it's Atlanta, okay. Atlanta getting dark. Are you up in the mountains? <laughs> sunshine yeah yeah yeah. okay so you're doing sports you're doing all you know and there was always everybody understood the commonality of the goal and everybody was willing to do their part sometimes with employees you know they're not there for the success of the business they're there for the paycheck and you know may not be as motivated yeah but that's your job right i mean as uh to motivate middle manager, you sign on to, it's your job to connect the goals of senior leadership to what it is individuals are doing every single day. Yeah. And, I, you know, don't raise your hand to take that on if you're not up for that. Well, and be willing to get rid of dead weight. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Well, I will say, I mean, again, you know, we talked about 2020. Um, it It's a tough year for feedback. It's a tough year for managers giving feedback right now. You know, you're in people's homes. You have no idea who else is around. Uh, I mean, we're seeing a lot of managers struggle with how to effectively really give the sort of constructive feedback and and, uh, teaching and training to their employees that they need to today. So is is it because of a disconnect, because they're not in the offices and trying to communicate over a you know this v this video medium that it's just I, not. I, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's that. Um, uh, I think it is literally not knowing the safety of the environment they're speaking into. Okay. So I I don't have a sense. Is someone else in that room at another desk? And is it your child who is six feet away from you? And um, how do I have an accountability conversation in the midst of all of this? Um, I also think um, in some part managers have lost their tether to how they manage and lead and hold people accountable um, without it being, without me being able to reach out and touch you. But there's also a lot of research that um, being live and in person with someone causes us to give them the benefit of a doubt in a way that this medium, we, well, we just haven't learned how to do it effectively yet right. in this medium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So before I transition, I want to make sure that I go back and you are going to have my listeners looking up the word intransigence. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, just wanted to highlight that and let you know that, you know, that didn't go over my head that you're throwing okay. big words in there. Who knows what I was even saying? Yeah, don't, don't, don't read much into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So going back to what kind of got you started, you talked about it being as part of a mentor relationship. And some of what you do sometimes talk about the difference between being a mentor and being part of a network or being a business coach. Uh, how are those things different? Yeah, um, I will say lots of different folks have different definitions. Um, I, I do think uh, that there are any number of people around us. I mean, we, we learn from peers. We learn from our managers. Um, I, I'll even add a third to the, the coaching versus mentoring versus managing. I mean, a lot of times managers will talk about the fact that they mentor their people. Um, and I think that's a really nice sentiment that, that doesn't really speak to what we think of mentoring being. So if I, if I think about those, those three, um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, managers, um, are, it's, it's their job to make things happen for the organization. 
um, if, if I extract mentoring out and how it is different um, from certainly from managing and to a certain extent from coaching as well, the mentor is accountable to the mentee. And okay. uh, wherever the mentee uh, is wanting to go or wanting to explore, a, a great mentor is all about accountability to the mentee. No question the manager is accountable to the organization. Doesn't mean they can't help their people and give them good advice, but you know, if you have taken on the role of being a manager, you are accountable to the organization. Coaches, it's a little bit messier in the middle because uh, if your organization is paying for your coach, that coach may be tasked with doing something specific to, to help you improve in a, in a given way. The, the other key difference between a mentor and a coach, a mentor, at least our model for mentoring, is very much around someone who's been there and done that, somebody who perhaps has faced some of the same challenges that you ha- are facing and has overcome them, where a coach leans more on a methodology of here is the way, whatever your issue is, here's the way we're going to help you solve that issue. Um, so I feel that a mentoring relationship to the two things I would carve out, you know, well, and one, I'll call it a relationship, but one is that that element of being accountable just to the mentee and whatever it is he or she is trying to accomplish. And then the second would be it being your voice of your experience as a mentor, because you've been in that person's shoes and bringing that into the conversation more than a, a process that a coach might follow. Does that make sense? It does. And part of the reason I asked that question is because I know that there are going to be women leaders in the tech world that are watching this who are going to want to know because some of them reach out to a business coach who may or may not have their goals in alignment or may not even have the tools to lead them except to be the best version of yourself in yeah. a sense. Yeah. But the, the role of mentor I see is more of a partnership. Indeed. And, yeah. you know, let's make sure you're on the right path with what you want and how that aligns with where you want to go. Yeah. And I would tell you that, um, I, uh, so I, I love that you use the word partnership. Uh, I will tell you that we, uh, we always use the words mentee and mentor. I'm not a big fan of the word protege. Um, somehow that kind of sounds like they're reaching down to the lowly right. and bringing, yeah. I, you know, I mean, to me, uh, it, it is a partnership. There's a mentee and a mentor. It's a sharing of professional experiences. The context for that sharing is the mentee's developmental goals because it is about what is it that they are hoping to get out of the partnership. And I will tell you the very best mentors are mentors who ask questions, not tell you things, you know, their, their background and experience enables them to ask questions in a way that the perspective is so different that it causes the mentee to, to look at his or her own situation in a different way. I mean, I can remember, um, you know, when I was a mentee and Chuck was my mentor, uh, there are t- days he would ask a question and I would just pause and say, I would never even think of that as a tell, like, tell me what it is you're thinking that even causes you to ask that question. And I realized that what he was doing was he was opening up my brain to looking at things from a different perspective in a way that was unbelievably powerful. And mm. I mean, caused me to look at my own career in, in ways that I wouldn't have. Interesting. Very interesting. So I'm trying not to go down a rabbit's hole here. because <laughs> We're coming up here. Or uh, do. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. yeah. So it almost is, in a sense where, you know, you talk about the mentor, the mentee, the partnership. How is it that you can translate that to the C-suite? Because it sounds like a lot of times you're having to convince them to do that. They may be reaching out to you to say, hey, you know, we want this, we need to, you know, diversity or we need, but it's almost as if you have to convince them of that partnership that they have to engage. 
Yeah, I um one of the things that I will say is, you know, your one of your first questions was only women. So, um uh we know that we can have more of an impact on an organization when um not only are they creating opportunities for women in the organization to have men meant to have mentors, but when we can work with that organization and their senior leaders become mentors. Um, uh, we love, we are huge advocates, uh, outside of your reporting structure. Obviously we're advocates of even outside your organization. I will tell you male senior leaders who volunteer to mentor women from other companies in our programs contend they go back to their organizations, much better leaders because Women from outside their organization will say things to them that women who work for them will not. Mm, interesting. And so there is an incredible learning that happens uh, when a, a senior leader is able to see things, quite frankly, in himself because he's having a conversation and dialogue that he realizes he might not be able to have uh, so, at, at the office. So our are the directives to try to be that direct and that frank as part of the relationship? I mean, because I can imagine that even in a, a mentor-mentee relationship that there would still be some hesitancy to say things for fear of ruffling feathers. Yeah, so uh, it is why uh, I'm going to go all the way back to when I was talking about how it's lovely when managers say they're mentors to their people. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're in somebody's reporting structure, you're, you're it's just, it's incredible. I won't say you can't ever, but it's really difficult to actually have a real mentoring relationship because you've got to have trust. And I will tell you, I, I said at the top of our time uh, that, you know, 2020 being a year of reinventing for us, Yes. Did we build out a multi-camera Zoom studio and, you know, an extra, another studio down the hall and build out? A, did we do all of that? Yes. That has not been the innovation of 2020. The innovation of 2020 is how have we learned to build trusting relationships online? Mm-hmm. Because I need a mentee and a mentor in this format, getting to the depth of conversation where they're asking those questions that evoke deep thought and different ways of thinking. And the fact, I mean, we joke all the time that mentoring isn't about patting you on the head. It's about poking you in the side and it has to be okay to poke me in the side. And so, you know, there's gotta be enough trust between us that I'll actually take that poke and go do something about it. All right. So the trust in a hierarchy is going to be much different than the trust. I'm not even going to say peer because a lot of times it's not peer. But the ability to poke somebody in the side is a little different than poking somebody in the head saying, hey, you need to do this. It is. And so, I mean, much of that, though, goes back to the mentee has to own the relationship in a mentoring partnership because the mentor is going to follow the mentee's lead. And if the mentee is asking tough questions, the mentor is giving tough feedback. Uh, we joke all the time. We, we go through an extensive interview process to match mentee and mentor. And every single, whenever you ask a mentee, how would you like your feedback? They all say, Oh, I want direct feedback. And some of them do. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them, it would be good if there's some support and warmth and softness around that feedback. Uh, So that's what the mentee's got to be in the driver's seat asking for asking for challenge, asking for opportunity, um, because the mentor is going to follow the mentee's lead. Hmm. All right. So this sounds like a lot of stuff. And the organization... We've got a little all over the map, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) That happens. But uh, so the organization is celebrating 25 years. And I know you haven't been there for all 25, but... When you started out, did you did you see this as the place you would be ending up? Oh wow, uh, no. Um, and uh, I I always knew. So I uh, again, I'm a graduate of the programs. I actually, as a volunteer, had started an alumni association for women who had graduated from the program. Um, I always felt that there was such unbelievable potential that wasn't being realized. There was, there was so much more work for the organization to do. 
But uh, up until a couple of years ago, I would always call this my second career or, uh, you know, anyways, very long story short, I've now been doing this longer than I was an engineer. And uh, it's it's funny for me to think about that. Um, I, I will say one of the things that has kept me here is not only the incredible impact that I know we've been able to have on companies, but um, I love Atlanta, had no desire to leave Atlanta. And uh, Atlanta is a community that expects a lot of its leaders from a civic engagement standpoint. And probably one of the other things that has kept me doing this is this gives me the platform to be able to do great work in the community as well. Um, and, you know, like I, I'm at that age where friends are starting to retire. And quite frankly, I can't <laughs> conceive of it yet. Yeah. I mean, maybe there will be a day that it all changes, but I can't I can't conceive of it yet. We're going to skip that topic altogether because uh... <laughs> – so speaking of Atlanta, so you are, I mean, you are all over the place. I said you've, uh, you were, um, let's see, Metro Atlanta chamber on the board there, graduate of leadership Atlanta, member of the Atlanta Rotary Club. Uh, what is it? The International Women's Forum, Women's President Organization, all of this stuff. So is Pathfinders primarily in Atlanta or do you stretch out? Yeah, it's a great question. So we have always, um, we have always had individuals participate in what we do. Um, it was largely organizations that were headquartered in Atlanta, and they would bring people in. Uh, and then we certainly had um, – there are a couple of Atlanta headquartered organizations where we've even done uh, large global programs. But, again, it was largely through the lens of an Atlanta-based organization. Um, not that we – uh, haven't had out of town clients, but this last year has completely changed the dynamic. Mm. So, uh, uh, in this last year, as we've really stepped back and redesigned our methodologies for how we, um, literally how we deliver what we do, uh, we, uh, our level two, we've, I, I mentioned different career levels. Our, our level two programming methodology is around, um, high-level individual contributors who are aspiring managers and new managers. Um, that level we completely redesigned in a program that's now called Percepta Connect. Um, and so for the first time, we've got mentees in a dozen states, mentors, five different states. Uh, and literally, my sales team and I are now stepping back and looking at the Fortune 1000 and going back to all of those relationships we had years ago in our various careers and saying, you know, now there's something – for path builders to bring to these organizations. And so um, uh, that's a question I would love for you to ask me again in a year and see what the answer is. All right. We'll do that. And between now and then, you're probably going to have a lot of people reach out to you, some of which will be your old JA buddies that have yeah. uh, listened to and watched this. Um, I should have said that one of the things that you got, um, what year was that that you got the JA – uh, what was it? The gold, the gold award. award? I think was, yeah. Two or three years ago. Uh, another, oh, so totally blown away by that. Yeah. So that is given, I know for uh service, not necessarily for junior achievement, but to junior achievement. So um, I know that you were involved in JA Georgia and you did do some stuff for JA USA. So we, um, in, in Georgia, we launched, which is really, uh, you know, some of the amazing stuff that Junior Achievement is doing now. So I, um, I had the honor of chairing the board in Georgia, um, as we opened our first, uh, what we call a discovery center. So, uh, you know, JA's middle school programming, um, now, uh, so much of it revolves around these programs called BizTown and Finance Park, where, um, a, a, an underpinning of what is typically classroom programming up to 14 lessons that a teacher works through with the students ending in a capstone event where the students in a pre-COVID day, and we're, we will get back to it, would come to a facility to actually live in a little simulated city. And uh, we, uh, I uh, was board chair when we uh, cut the ribbon on our first um, discovery center with a biz town and a finance park. And we, um, we are, fortunate enough to have three and soon to be four of those in Georgia. 
um, now. Um, I will say that the superintendents who we were working with, um, and, and I will say our BizTown and Finance Park are they're unbelievable facilities. And uh, the way our corporate community has come together and just built these amazing custom storefronts that are such incredible brand identity, uh, which means so much to the kids, but then the, the way it just elevates the experience when they're there. But anyways, these great superintendents said, um, well, this is fantastic for middle school. What are you going to do for high school? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, a, a enormous degree of pride watching the, um, the team here at JA of Georgia. Um, and here we birthed a model that really revolutionizes high school that's now called 3DE. And it is, uh, it's, uh, it's a school within a school where the students, uh, it's not like a, uh, it's not like a magnet where they step out of their core classes and into the magnet. Their core classes are in the JA environment. And, uh, there's an incredible case study methodology that, you know, literally as you're learning, high school math and science for a month. It's through the lens of how Chick-fil-A selects real estate. And uh, the, the incredible classroom uh, interaction that is there. So very long story short, um, the, the 3DE has now spun out of JA of Georgia so that it can cross state lines. And um, we we're, uh, we're headed towards 26. I think we're, we're working our way there. We're North of 10 uh, 3DE schools in Georgia on a five-year plan to have 26 in Georgia, and we have opened our first in Florida. Um, and I still say we, even though it's not us anymore. But, uh, you know, there are now a, a couple of 3DE schools in, in Florida um, and uh, are headed to Texas, the West Coast, and D.C. next. And it's really upending. I, I, between those two elements, this is the future of where JA is going, and it is all about teaching kids Critical beyond financial literacy, it's critical thinking skills. It's 21st century career skills. All right. Now, is this an expansion or an adaptation of the K through 12 J curriculum? Or so there are elements of it, no question, that bring in JA curriculum, but it's also a tremendous amount of new curriculum. And so um, one of the one of the huge uh, steps that had to be taken was to actually not only train but indoctrinate teachers who are experts in those areas of high school curriculum into JA methodology and thinking. And I will tell you, our, our first school, so we've had our first graduating class uh, a year ago, uh, Banneker High School uh, in Atlanta, and um, uh, unbelievably that first flight of teachers uh, who were willing to step on, step up to not only teach their subject matter, but learn a JA lens of doing all of that. They were themselves all MBAs. Mm. I, the experience that these kids were having was so incredible. And, and, you know, as we replicate, obviously we're not going to be able to maintain that. Um, but the, the, the incredible impact of this little school within a school is that the little school starting to incredibly positively influence the bigger school. Nice. And uh, I uh, another enormous point of pride, but our kids at Banneker, I will never forget when they were seniors, um, the kids in the larger school elected student council leaders who were all in the in the J.A. portion of the school, which, of course, that was always our big concern, right, that these guys would get isolated in a way. And right. they wouldn't, yeah. oh, you're not us. You're not a part of the. But, you know, the thought that the school embraced um, the program so much. It's just, it's unbelievably powerful. Far from the days of the JA company program. Yeah, with a bandsaw saw in the corner and a bench yeah. grinder over there. And After <laughs> school, extracurricular, you know, yeah. don't bother us during the day. We're doing real stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and yeah. Uh, look at what JA has done. And yeah. uh, my piddly little business down here, you have done an absolutely fantastic job. And I know that uh, people have told you over the years that they, they love what you do and are inspired. And uh, you'll get some more people to shout out and say hello to you. Oh, love it. Love it. And, yeah, your piddly little business. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> thanks for creating this opportunity. And, I mean, it's cracking me up. This went so incredibly fast. We could do this for another hour. We could. We didn't even get to the personal stuff that I wanted to chat about. We'll have to uh, – We'll have to have you back uh, maybe before the year is up when I ask you about uh, if you see see where yourself (laughs) are. 
but thank you very much for doing this. And just, I, I know we normally don't do this on this show, but I know people are going to ask to get in touch with Path Builders. Um, is it something where people can go to the website, pathbuilders.com, and just, you know? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are, it so, easily gets to me. All right. So if you are an organization that is looking uh, to develop top tier talent and want to be a part of the mentoring and professional development, um, Path Builders might be a place to go. And uh, my guest, Helene Lawless, CEO, and basically helping move high potential women forward in leadership. Thanks so much, Marvin. All right, Helene, thank you. I'm going to kick you out now and end off the show, and I'll catch up with you in just a bit here. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you for downloading and subscribing. To find out more about Helene and some of the other guests that I've had on, head over to UncleMarv.com, and you'll be able to see all of the past shows, and uh, let me get the banner there going. So UncleMarv.com, and uh, you'll see everything we got going on there. We've got another great show coming up here soon. Uh, it is Thanksgiving. I hope that you all have a wonderful COVID-free Thanksgiving. Be very thankful, folks, for this year. Uh, it's been a tough one for most of us, I know, but we are here. We are surviving. We are thriving. And I wish the best for everyone. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of the Onto Marv podcast real soon. But until then, holla.